We're continuing in our series, Just Okay is Not Okay. We haven't talked about that in a while as far as what the purpose behind this series is. You know, we talk about these different commercials that they have, and, and we don't really want anybody, especially when our lives are at stake, to do their job just okay. We really want them to do it well, not do it just okay. You know, we got the guy parachuting, we don't want to get ready to jump out of the plane, and the guy says, well, I, you know, I've packed one or two parachutes, and I do okay. You know, you want the guy to know what he's doing. And so, as we've been talking about that, and we talked about, we were in Romans chapter 8, we talked the last few weeks in Romans 8 about several aspects about what Romans 8 is telling us. You know, we said in leading up to Romans 8, we'd seen that we were sinners, that it was only by God's grace that he brought us into a right relationship, that we have faith in what he's done for us. Then in Romans 6, we talked about how he's given us power to overcome sin. But then Romans chapter 7 said the reality is in Paul's life and in our lives, we have that power, but we don't always avail ourselves of that power. And so there's times when we give in to sin. So then we said in Romans chapter 8, he begins to talk about what the, the life and the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit begins to change who we are. So we talked that first week about we have a a transformed standing. Paul says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have been sealed. We have been taken care of. And then it transforms our walk, that we no longer walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. Now you say, well, that's not always true, but he tells us how, by the power of the Spirit, we can make that true, that we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. He talked about our transformed mind, that we begin to think on the things of the Spirit rather than the things of the flesh. And then that transforms our character, that we become who Christ has called us to be. And then last week we talked at the end there about it transforms the church. As each of us individually are transformed, our churches become transformed, therefore we can transform the communities. Now, All of this in Romans chapter 8 so far kind of gives that, you know, give your life to Christ and everything will be great theology. You know, just just surrender your life to Christ and all life will be smooth. You'll always walk in the Holy Spirit. You'll always have, you'll always think the right things. You'll always do the right things. Now, that theology sounds good. The only problem is it's not biblical. There's nothing in the scripture that says you give your life to Christ and everything in your life will be easy from now on out. It doesn't tell us that. As a matter of fact, the very last verse that we read last week says this, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, what provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. This is not a typical American Christianity message. I'm just going to tell you right now. We're not going to talk today about how if you give your life to Jesus, your whole life's going to be great. You're always going to have enough money. You're always going to be healthy. Everything's going to be perfect for you. Because I'm not going to tell you that because the Bible doesn't tell you that. Too often we we kind of settle for this just okay mentality. 
Uh, the newest commercial on that series, I don't know if you've seen it, you know, the, the lady and her son get on the scrambler and the kid's hooking him in and he, she, you know, is this safe? Well, it, it should be. I, I put it up last night and, you know, did you do a good job? Well, I did okay. You know, well, what happens if we get hurt? Well, we just moved to another town. Well, you know, I mean, that's kind of the way we do Christianity though, isn't it? We go to a church and we, we like it and, it, you know, everything's going along fine. But if we get hurt, let's just go to another church or not go anywhere. Let's just, let's just move on and let's find, you know, or, or maybe I've trusted Christ and I really believe that when I trusted Christ, boy, my life was going to be smooth, but, but it hasn't been. So let me just kind of move on to something else. I don't want to trust the Lord anymore. He didn't take good care of me when I trusted him. And so we need to, to gain a different perspective. So I'm going to give a little bit of a historical review here. Now, this is not history, history. This is my history, all right? And you've heard a lot of this before, but I want to share with you what led up to this, okay? In, in 1976, we moved back to Atlanta and got involved in a church that was a church that my dad knew the pastor, and so we got involved there, and we, and we went every Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It was a good church. I mean, I was a teenager, my older brothers, older sisters were involved in the, the singles ministry. And there was a lot going on, especially in the singles ministry at that time. And some things going on with youth ministry. But because of my being around my older brother and them, I got to hang out with them a lot and got to see a lot of good things. But I didn't necessarily get deep, strong teaching at this church. You know, there was a lot of activities. Uh, the pastor did okay, but it was the typical... Three points, a poem, and a, and a you know, a illustration kind of thing, message. But it, it didn't really dig down deep. And the youth ministry was always kind of youth ministry type messages. And so, so I wasn't feel like I was really growing. Now, y'all know that I went to another church, not because I was looking for something spiritual. I went to another church because there was a cute girl that invited me to go to the other church. But, you know, that lasted until after the prom. Okay, guys, I'm just going to let you know right now, that cute girl that begins to show interest in you in February and in January, by the time prom ends, she's not going to be interested in you anymore. She's interested in you because she's got to have a date for the prom, but that's, that's beside the point. You know, and so, so after the prom, you know, Leanne said, nah, see you later. But in that time frame, I developed a relationship with my youth pastor who was teaching me to go deeper teaching me to understand the scriptures, teaching me to study for myself, teaching me to dig deeper so that I could, could grow in my walk with the Lord. And part of that is we had been studying a good bit in Romans chapter 8. Now, very familiar passage in Romans chapter 8 towards the end that we all quote, a lot of times misquote, is that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And we quote that to say, see, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be good. That's not what that passage says. But I had been studying this passage and, and thoroughly digging into understanding what this passage meant when 1982 came around. 1982 was one of the hardest years of my life. Dan DeHaan was killed in a plane crash. I graduated high school. A few months later, my father died. And so in all those things, it was like, Wade, it's time to grow up. 
You've got to study for yourself. You can't wait on Dan DeHaan to teach you. You know, you're out of high school now. It's no longer just the fun and games of high school. Your dad's gone. You're going to have to kind of take on some of the responsibilities at home. You know, it's time to grow up. And that was a hard time. But because I understood what Romans 8 said, it carried me through that time. It wasn't because all of a sudden all of those things that happened were good. You can ask Penny DeHaan, the fact that her husband crashed in a plane crash wasn't a good thing. You can ask my mother, it wasn't a good thing that my father passed away. But the issue was, it's not a matter of whether the things that happened were good. The issue is, what is God teaching me and doing in me because of that? That's what Romans 8 is talking about. Is that it transforms who we are, no matter what comes our way, when we have the right perspective. We've got to have a transformed perspective. Because I had a bigger perspective at the time, because of what I'd been studying in Romans 8, then when my dad died, it really, it was hard, but it wasn't the end of the world. You know, it was one of those things you could go, man, this is tough, but God's got a purpose in this to teach me and to grow me and to allow me to, to become more like him because of it. You know, it's not a, a give your life to Jesus and everything will be rosy. We're going to be looking today in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. But I want us to look real quickly. There's three different times that he uses a word that kind of describes life a lot of times for us. In verse 22, he says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await the, wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Groanings. He says the creation groans. You say, well, how do we see the creation groaning? Well, do you see a cyclone wipe out India this week? <laughs> or at least a portion of India this week? Do you see earthquakes? Do you see floods? Do you drive down the street and see just trash and garbage laying everywhere? Yeah, because the, the earth, part of it is we abuse the earth. Part of it is the earth is just going to fall apart. Things happen. Life happens, you know. Because of sin entering the world, now there's all kinds of destruction and different things happening. It says that the earth, the creation, groans because of this. And he says not only the creation, but we groan because we have, what he says is the first fruits of the Spirit, which we'll look at a little bit more in a few minutes. But, but we know there's just something that we know things aren't right. Things aren't perfect. Things aren't like they should be. We, we even read in the first part of Romans chapter 8 that, that all these things should be true in our walk with the Holy Spirit, but then, man, just life kicks in. And we go, this just doesn't make sense to me. 
This, this hurts more than I can imagine. This is too painful for me to bear. And then we'll look at even more at what he says about the Holy Spirit there. But I want us to look at, first off, a transformed perspective of future glory. What does he say beginning in verse 18? He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. You say, well, that all sounds fine and good for Paul. You know, Paul's an apostle. Everything's going great, right? Well, let's read in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there. But let's listen to what Paul says about his life. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. That sounds, doesn't sound real promising there. And then he says here later on, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift on the sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of the anxiety of all the churches. That's a lot. I mean, you know, there's been junk in my life, but... I mean, nothing compared to that. And he says, I consider all of these things as nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. And he's not just saying, I can't wait to get to heaven, you know, and all everything will be gone away. He's saying, I understand even now in the midst of it that this, this is tough, but perspective-wise, it's really not a big deal. It's really what he's saying. I mean, you say, how can he say it's not a big deal? Because the issue is, what is God doing through that suffering? What is the glory God is getting through that suffering? Not just the glory that will come one day when we're in heaven and everything is easy, but what is the glory God is getting in the midst of the suffering? Robert Mount said this, If we allow the difficulties of life to absorb our attention, they will effectively blot out the glory that awaits us. Our focus needs to be on things above, spiritual concerns of eternal significance. I asked Judy this morning if she had a nickel. This is what she gave me. This is the most pitiful looking nickel I've ever seen in my life, but it's the only one she had. (laughs) And I don't ever carry any change. But a gentleman named Cliff Bedell, who used to be a professor at CIU, who passed away a few years ago, made a statement to me one time that is has stood out in my mind over and over and over again. He said, you can 
cover the whole world with a nickel if you hold it close enough to your eye. In other words, if we look at that problem and we hold it close enough to our eyes, we lose the big picture. But if we hold that problem out and see that problem in the midst of everything else that's going on, in the midst of the glory of God, in the midst of what He's doing in the world, then it takes its right perspective. That's what Paul's saying. All that struggles, all those imprisonments, all those beatings, all those times left for dead, all those times when friends and family members walked away and left him alone is nothing compared to the greatness of the glory of the Lord. That's the perspective we need to have. That's a perspective that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on in verses 22 through 25, he says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. He says here we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now the first fruits were those gleanings of the fruit that came before the big harvest. It was that idea that says, look, it's happening. I can trust that it's going to be true. In another place, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as our earnest, our down payment. That we have the Holy Spirit now telling us in the midst of everything, it's okay. We have the Holy Spirit showing us that, that glimpse of glory that puts the other things into perspective. We have the first fruits that says the Holy Spirit is now moving in our lives in a way that He's going to move a lot greater down the line. But right now He's moving and can't we just begin to look at those things rather than the junk around us? Paul says to to set our minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. And that's not easy, but I think that perspective comes... Through suffering. That perspective comes through those hard times. That perspective comes when in the midst of it looking like our whole lives are falling apart, we still lean on Christ. Jesus told the parable, the two people built a house. One built it on the rock, one built it on the sand. When the storms came, the one built on the sand washed away. But the one built on the rock stood firm. He wasn't just telling a story. He's telling a story to make the point that when you build your house on the rock, when you are sure in that foundation, in that first fruits of the Spirit, you're secure in Christ, no matter what comes your way, you can be okay. You can stand firm. You can begin to look at things from a different perspective. And so we need a transformed perspective. That's why when a friend of mine in Uzbekistan who goes to jail from time to time, gets beaten, when he comes out of jail, the first thing he says is, praise the Lord. Had another opportunity to talk to him about Jesus. You know, that's, that's the perspective we need to have. It doesn't mean that we sit around and go, boy, I'm so proud and glad that everything's miserable right now. 
you know, I'm so happy, let's just have a good time, let's have a party because things are miserable. It's not that. But it's having the right perspective that says, my life right now stinks. I don't like the things that are happening right now. But, in comparison, it's nothing. But when we live our lives focused on this life and this life only, that becomes very big. Because this life is the most important. But if this life is the most important, we lose perspective. We need a transformed perspective of future glory. We also need a transformed perspective of our lives. We're going to skip over 26 and 27 and look at 28 through 30 for a minute. And if someone could get me a little bit of water, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. He says, this is what we trust and what we know, is that everything that comes our way is for the good. He didn't say everything that comes our way is good. It's not good when someone, thank you, when someone does something bad to you. It's not good when friends betray you. It's not good when people treat you like dirt. It's not good when you have a car accident. It's not good when these kind of, someone says, the doctor comes out and says, I hate to tell you this, but it's cancerous. That's not good. But all these things work together for good. Now what is that good that it's working together for? That we may be conformed to the image of His Son. In order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Conformed to Christ is the ultimate reason things happen. Christ didn't save us to leave us like we were. He saves us to conform us into the image of His Son so that we can bring Him honor and glory. So that we can reflect Him to the world. When I look back on 1982... I wouldn't change a thing. Was it a hard year? Sure it was. But in the midst of that, God began to work in me things that today give me strength and encouragement and power and ability to deal with things that happened today because of what happened in 1982. Because He worked those situations into my life to make me more like Christ So that now the more I grow and become more like Christ, the more I can deal with other things that come my way. But the issue is, too often, we like to be comfortable more than we like to be conformed. We like to be comfortable more than we like to be conformed. See, conforming... I'm not, I've never worked in my life, well, I take that back, 
In high school, I tried taking a pottery class one time. And the things that I made were not good. All right? I think my art teacher said, you might want to consider something different for your life than, than this. And I thought, well, you're probably right. You know, the, the vase is kind of leaning this way, and this side's up higher. than I, I never could quite get that. But, but the idea here is that clay is being conformed and molded. There's nothing, if you were clay, there's nothing comfortable about that. You're being pressed and pushed and turned and spinning in circles and, and having water pour, you know, there's all this stuff. And then once you finally think you got it made, they stick you in a kiln, for goodness sake, and it gets hot. And then they pull you out, and if they need to, they mold a little bit, and they stick you back in. You know, and the issue here is none of that is comfortable but it's what is needed to make that vase what it needs to be. And Paul never says, there's nowhere in Scripture that says, give your life to Jesus and everything will be comfortable. We give our lives to Christ and we are conformed to His image. We've got to get out of the mentality that we want to be comfortable and be willing to be conformed. And then, the last little bit here, he uses five verbs. He says, those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So he says, but the thing is, the way these words are written, they are a done deal. We've been called, we've been predestined, we've been justified, we've been glorified. All those things are a past event. It's a done deal. The point is here, we again, we again gain perspective. And I don't, please take this with the way I say it and, and my heart not, don't go back and say, Wade says I'm insignificant. But the reality is, we're insignificant. We're significant in the fact that he uses us and he takes us as broken vessels that we sang just a few minutes ago. He takes us as those broken vessels and he fills us and uses us but he could use any vessel. Charles Spurgeon said, don't get, basically he said, don't get too cocky because God's using you now, but it, it wouldn't take much for him to take you out of the picture and use somebody different. You know, it's not about me. It's not about you. We are vessels to be used for his honor and glory. And we're that way because he's already changed our lives. He's already worked in us. So now let's go back and look at a transformed perspective of the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we all, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I want us to, to get clear on something that most of us are probably already clear on, but just to make sure. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. I hear all the time, I grade papers at CIU all the time, where the Holy Spirit, it, da-da-da-da-da. No. The Holy Spirit, He. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
in the Godhead. Not the fourth, may the fourth be with you, not that junk from yesterday. But that the Holy Spirit is a person that we have a relationship with. And what does it tell us here about the Holy Spirit in this verse? It says that that He groans for us. He prays for us when we don't know how to pray. Now, when is that? When is it that we don't know how to pray? Every minute of every day. Because my tendency is to pray, God, please get me out of this mess. You know, and it's funny how I can hear big, major, painful news and I can trust the Lord, but then when my car doesn't crank, I'm going, oh man, life's over. It's going to be a big bill. I'm not going to be able to pay for it. What am I going to do? You know, isn't it amazing how that works? But, but we need to pray in all things. And I don't really know. Sometimes I sit and think, when I listen to my own prayers, I think, Lord, why do you listen to me? You know, what is wrong with me? But the Holy Spirit knows my heart and knows that even when I'm saying stupid stuff, He's going, Lord, you know us just Wade. <laughs> this is what He's trying to say. I know, I don't know where that came from, but this is what He's trying to say. Now, I'm definitely paraphrasing there, but you know, the issue here is he, He's there with us in the midst of it. You know, the Scriptures use the word paraclete. He comes alongside of us. He puts His arm around us and walks with us. He's there to, to, to answer what we need, to teach us. But you know what is funny? The Scripture says the Holy Spirit is praying for us. But you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 7? It says, Consequently, He, who is Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. We ask each other to pray for us. And that's great. Scripture calls us together as a body. We need to pray for one another. But my prayers aren't going to have near the impact that the Holy Spirit's prayers for you and Jesus' prayers for you are going to have. That's the, the, what we need to understand in the midst of this. Is Yes, we have a transformed standing. We are now, by the power of Christ, no longer condemned. And we have a transformed walk that we now walk according to the Spirit. And we think the things of the Spirit. And our character becomes like Christ. And, and we begin, to, as a body, to move together. Why? Because we have a different perspective we realize that it's not about City Church. It's not about Wade Hobbs. It's not about anybody in this room. It's about Jesus Christ. About Him getting the honor and the glory through everything we say and do, even in the midst of sorry circumstances in our lives. Because our goal and our heartbeat is to be like Christ to allow Him to work in and through us so that He gets the honor and glory and His name gets proclaimed throughout the world. That was Paul's goal. That should be our goal. You know, 
We use it as a mission agency, but I think we need to, to realize what Paul's saying when he says, I make it my ambition to not preach where somebody else has preached. Now, Paul wasn't saying that's a bad thing, but he said, for me, I can't rest until everybody who's never heard has a chance to hear. And so I've got to keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. And so that's the goal. That's what we're trying to live for. That's the perspective that comes. So I want us to spend some time in prayer.